If you believe that Jesus loves you, let me hear you say amen. In spite of the way things have been so far, if you believe that Jesus has demonstrated his love, let me hear you say amen again. Thank you, my brother. You have started us off where we need to be. Uh, the song has spoken to us about love, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today in some shape or form. Welcome to the Power Hour. We are still going through the series on relationships. We are on month number two, week number two. For this month, the theme is, you do compliment me. Compliment with an E, not an I. If you were here last week, Pastor Henry made it clear that the word compliment with an I is about what you say to somebody and how you make them feel. But compliment with an E is about who you are to them and who they are to you. You fit like a jigsaw puzzle. They are different. And so uh, this morning, I want to continue that idea that you do compliment me. And the sermon title will be revealed in a moment as soon as I get my uh, slide changer. On the 8th of February, 2023, this past Wednesday, the current sitting president of the United States gave what is known as the State of the Union Address. For many years now, America has been the only country that has made this State of the Union Address such an official occasion that other nations have started to follow. Basically, the State of the Union is simply this. The president gets up at the beginning of the year and he talks about the things that he wants to accomplish in the year that lies ahead. He'll talk about foreign policy, domestic policy. He'll talk about uh, relationships with other nations. Most times he will mention particular nations. There's a list that they tend to mention all the time, whether it's Israel, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran. They'll talk about all that. But the purpose of the State of the Union Address is to demonstrate the long-standing power that the nation has. It's meant to comfort Congress and the rest of the nation that, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we got this. America is still strong. Everybody gets up, they clap hands, they go eat, they go home. Every year, same thing. Now, the EU has started doing the same thing. The current sitting chancellor has also started, a lady has also started giving State of the Union addresses. France has joined in as well to give a State of the Union address. Because a lot of the time in the times we live in, because of the flow of information and the negativity of news, people are constantly in a state of fear. Leaders have to get up and talk about how things are. Sadly, most of the time they lie about the state of the nation. In fact, ever since uh, President Joe Biden stood up and gave the, the, the State of the Union address, all news outlets have been questioning one particular thing that he said, that the economy of America was strong. The numbers contradict what he said, but y'all don't care about that? That's not why you're here? The union I care about is the state of marriages and relationships. Sister Madeline, can you imagine if every year the, the year begins, you get up here with your husband and you give a State of the Union address? You tell us how 22 was. You tell us about the highs and the lows. You give us intricate details about how life has been. Can you imagine if all of us had to do that? 
If you were judged based on the State of the Union address, I think all of us would go to hell. Because nobody would be honest about the true state of their union. Like I said in my prayer, I had to pray that the word be the focus because today's message is going to be difficult for many reasons. Uh, again, not difficult because I'm uncomfortable speaking it, but because of the content. Let's go to our Bibles. Let's go to our Bibles. Open up to Matthew's Gospel. Because if you're going to talk about relationships now and again, you want to read what Jesus said. We've heard from Paul. We've heard from others. We've heard from psychologists and experts, celebrities. But let's see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read very carefully from verse number 1 down to verse number 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for the sake of simplicity, oftentimes for clarity. The Word of God says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Ladies, if you're listening to the text and you're thinking, wow, why is it about the man? You are right. Because by the time that Jesus had come, the words of Moses and instructions of God had been so distorted that everything was in the favor of the man than it was in the woman. This was not God's ideal, but this is the way that men had made it so. That up to that point, only the man could initiate divorce. Fun fact for our generation, Pastor Henry. Women have not only caught up, but they've surpassed it. The majority of requests for divorce in this generation come more from women than they do from men. What I just said is not a judgment, it's a fact. Amen. <laughs> Haven't you read the scriptures Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the Lord that a man, here they go again, can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. My message today is based on the response that Jesus is about to give. Verse number 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce. Once again, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God originally intended. One more time, why is it that Moses said it's okay for a man to give a woman a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus says that wasn't God's plan. It was Moses who permitted it in because of the hard-heartedness of the people. That means they kept requesting to separate from their spouses. They kept coming to Moses over and over again. And finally God said, give them what they want. 
Not because that's what I want, but because they want it. And God is such a gentleman, he always gives the church, his wife, permission to do what it wants. And so because of that, divorce has become a part of our existence. But believe me, divorce is not the problem. I'm not here to talk about the D word. And then in verse 9 he says, and I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Verse number 10, Jesus' disciples then said to him, yo, if this is the case, it is better not to get married. After hearing what Jesus said, his own followers who spent every waking moment with him decided based on what he just said, it is better not to get married. Because the requirement seemed too high for them. These were young men, by the way. Peter was the oldest and he was still in his early 20s. John was probably 16 or 17 years old at this time. So for to them, this seemed difficult. But Jesus didn't leave it there. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. And yes, God help us all. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. There's a reason that preachers don't really read this text too often because there are certain things in there that have been a source of debate, but at the same time, it makes people a little bit uncomfortable. But there's parts of the text that are so important that I want to highlight today. I want to begin with a disclaimer. Pastor has always noted that I love to do that, right? I love to qualify what I'm about to say. And I'm going to do it in a series of statements. Today's message is entitled, The State of the Union. The union being your marriages. The union being your relationships that are intending to get into marriage. Because this month is no longer about the individual. It's about the relationship. In a marriage, there are three entities. There's you, your partner, and the marriage. There's three entities. There's you, your partner, and the marriage. Which one deserves to be protected the most? Go ahead. Who needs to be protected more? You, your partner, or the marriage? The marriage. But here's the funny thing. Marriage wasn't the first thing that God created. It was singlehood. Adam was single before he got married. So let me give you a couple of statements to get us into this very, very difficult but interesting text. Marriage is not a goal. It should be an outcome. For too many people, marriage is a goal. Is that bad? Not necessarily. But when marriage becomes a goal, you ignore certain red flags. You start planning your wedding in your mind. You have all the colors, all the, the designs and the theme. You know who your bridesmaids are. You've forced your partner to decide who his groomsmen are going to be. You know the location. You even know the budget. But you know nothing about marriage itself. You want to get married, but you don't know what you're getting into. Because somebody told you that if you can afford to get married, you are ready to get married. Marriage is not an escape from singlehood. Marriage is not an escape from being single. Just because everybody else around you is married doesn't mean you got to do it. 
No, no, I, I don't hear a single people saying amen. Don't, don't, don't do that. I got lectured the last time you all clapped hands when I said that. Don't do it. Stop escaping being single because you are avoiding the question that people keep asking. When are you getting married? When are you getting married? Ask them, when are you going to shut up? <laughs> do not do that to your parents. Because then they will make you shut up. Marriage is not an escape from singlehood. It is a divine extension of it. Last one. Marriage is not an upgrade from singlehood. I am very concerned when married people are being married for two months and all of a sudden you think you are qualified to give people advice. Unless you are 90 years old, sitting on a rocking chair, looking at your partner, saying nothing but smiling, do not give marriage advice. You are not qualified to tell your friends to get married simply because you are unhappy. Now you want them to be unhappy. Marriage is not an upgrade. It's an extension of being single. Adam was perfect from the hand of God. Perfect in every sense. He had done nothing wrong. He was the perfect single man. He had real estate. He had a plantation. He had a job. He had the ability to think. He was the perfect man. But God said, this dude needs a partner. So being married is not an upgrade, it's simply an extension. Would somebody say amen? amen? But according to Jesus Christ, in his State of the Union address, there's a problem. People are fighting to get out of what they fought to get into. Let me say that one more time. People are fighting to get out of what they fought to get into. You ignored the signs until the signs were right in your face. Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12, uh, the Pharisees want to test and to try Jesus. They're trying to trick him because they understood that Christ's mind didn't operate like theirs. And they revealed the condition of their heart and they revealed the condition of the hearts of God's people. The number one question people are always asking, Pastor, they don't care about how to be married. They want to know what is the right reason to be divorced. There's been debate after debate after debate about why people should get divorced. And it begins with these jokers right here. The Pharisees had mastered the art of manipulating the law to favor the man and not the woman. John chapter 8, a woman is brought and chucked at the feet of Jesus. She's almost naked because they've ripped off her clothing. And they say to Jesus, we caught her in the act. How they did that, only the Lord knows. There were no cams. There were no surveillance equipment back then. But for some reason, they caught her. They only bring her, but not the man. Jesus is not a fool. And I want to tell you what Jesus does in the text. He doesn't answer their question. If you're with me so far, let me hear you say yes. yes. Jesus doesn't care about the reasons for divorce. Jesus cares about the root problem, why people want to get divorced. So when he answers the question, he says to them, haven't you read that God created them male and female? What does that have to do with the question? Jesus, what is the reason to let go of your, your, your partner? Haven't you read that God created them male and female? So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, in order to understand the problem of divorce, you need to go back to the original intent of marriage. People always ask me, what is the best place in the Bible to read when it comes to marriage? People think it's Songs of Solomon. 
I say no. If you want to improve your sexual experience in marriage, read Songs of Solomon. But if you want to improve marriage, go back to Genesis chapter 1. That's where the original intent of marriage was. So Jesus said, God created them male and female. And so for that reason, the man leaves his mother and father, gets together with the woman, and so they become one. That's the original plan. How do they begin to separate? That's what I want to talk about today. In verse number 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Divorce is not God's idea because marriage is a representation of the relationship that God has with his people. In fact, do you know what the word divorce means in the original language? Divorce, the word means apostasy, to apostatize. You are removing yourself from that which God has instituted. Yes, people are going to Vegas, they're getting married. People are going to Bali, they're getting married. People are getting married without God being in the room. That doesn't count. Because God said, whatever God has put together, let no man put asunder. Just because you get married in church doesn't mean that God has approved it. I love your silence. It's what I need right now. Amens are going to distract you from hearing what I'm saying. I'm not up here standing like I've got it figured out. I'm simply telling you what God has a problem with. Somebody said it already, Pastor Henry, that death is better than divorce. Death is better than divorce. When somebody dies, you get closure. When you get divorced, you're going to see them in church. You're going to see them at Starbucks. You're going to see them at the restaurant. You're going to have to avoid them over and over again. Because when you see them, the relationship gets resurrected over and over and over and over and over again. And when you have children, it never dies. So death is better. That's why, Sister Audrey, the vows say, till death do us apart. Because death is better than divorce. But but like I said, I'm not here to talk about divorce. Because if I talk too much about divorce, single people are going to decide not to get married. I'm here to help you avoid divorce. Amen? Amen. Hard hearts. Hard hearts. That's why. Jesus said, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. You're making people uncomfortable talking about divorce. Let's talk about how people get there. It is a hard heart. You know what the word hard heart, hard-hearted means? To be hard-hearted means to be stubborn, to be stiff-necked, to be selfish, to be self-involved. To be hard-hearted means to not listen to the will of God. Hard-heartedness is a quality to some extent that all of us have. Every single one of us have it. God has healed me of mine. Let me rephrase that. God is working on mine. For the longest time in relationships, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say this because it happened, I once broke up with a girl because she liked to take food from my plate. Don't laugh. It's not funny. That was ridiculous. So when I, got, when I started dating my wife, and she, she, she used to like doing that. She used to like reaching her hand into my plate. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, when we ordered the food... I ordered french fries. You said you don't want french fries. All of a sudden, I see your unholy hand coming across the table to my plate. But praise the Lord, I've been healed. Now it is me who reaches across into her place. Amen, somebody. Amen. 
Hashtag the struggle is real. The hard-heartedness of a human being comes in different degrees. For some people, it's as simple as uh, where to worship. I want my way. Where to get married. I want my way. I've heard couples give ultimatums about the conditions of the marriage. You haven't done anything. You haven't proved anything. And all of a sudden, there's ultimatums. That comes from a hard place. When you don't love your partner's in-laws, that comes from a hard heart. When you don't like your partner to serve God, that comes from an unholy heart. Because when you got married before God, you promised to serve, but all of a sudden, you got the girl, you got the guy, now it's, we don't need to serve anymore. So today I want to share five, five states. states. Uh, before, when I would teach this subject, I always call them stages. Every relationship goes through five states, not stages. I have evolved from that thinking. Pastor, what is the difference between a stage and a state? It's simple. A butterfly begins as a, a, a worm, uh, and then it breaks out from the cocoon and becomes a butterfly. Those are stages. But a state is what water goes through. Water can be ice, it can be vapor or steam, or it can be water. Same thing, different state. Is that clear? Same thing, different state. I believe that marriages go through different states. And I want to share them with you this morning. By the way, no one is immune from these states. You could be married for 60 years. You could be dating for six months. You will go through these states, whether you want to or not. Two of them are good. One of them, it depends. Two of them, not so much. I'll explain. So let's go through them this morning. The first state is what I call perfect slash compliment. Usually couples that have just started go through this one. You are driven more by oxytocin, dopamine, and all those other hormones. Right? Your emotions are, are uninformed because of the physical stimulus that is in front of you. She's pretty, he's handsome. He sounds smart, his jokes are eh, but he's cute. At this stage, every bad thing they do is considered cute. When you drop food on yourself, oh honey, you drop something, the person wipes it off. After seven years of marriage, you're embarrassing me. How can you drop food on yourself? Right? The perfect compliment stage. Most couples want to convince family and friends to accept their partner because they're going through this. They want you to see what they see. Their emotions are on high. Every time a text message comes and it's not their partner, they're disappointed. After seven years, when a text comes in, you are concerned. What does he want now? What does she want now? Because they've left the stage. I call it the perfect compliment stage. Now, now, please understand that after 50, 60 years of marriage, you can revisit this one. You want to rekindle the fire. You want to go back to the way it was, where you used to buy flowers and your partner didn't check the price of the flowers, right? You want to go back to this place. When you checked into a hotel, she didn't ask you, how much is it? Oh, the child needs this and the child needs that right here. You want to go back there. Amen, somebody. Yeah, yeah. If you're uncomfortable with today's message because you and your partner haven't been here in a while, go back. I know you think it's a waste of time. I know you think it's too late. But there's always a chance to go back to the original state of the relationship. That's state number one. State number two, I call it the power slash conflict state. 
Every relationship goes through it in some shape or form. I've met couples who say, we never ever fight. And they think that's a good thing. We don't have any conflict. I know what she wants, he knows what I want. Usually in that kind of a relationship, one of them is more dominant than the other. And if the dominant one is happy, the other one is docile, they say everything is good, there's no conflict. Now, power and conflict can be good and bad. It can be good when you're dating because you're getting to figure out what you're getting into. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. We read this passage last time, last month. Don't be selfish. In other words, don't be hard-hearted, Paul says. Don't try to impress others. Now, here's my issue again. I go on about the same thing over and over again like a broken record. People would rather impress everybody else except the people in the home. You would rather your friends be happy, your boss be happy, church people be happy than your own partner. You will fight all the way to the door and all of a sudden you put on your Hollywood smile and all of a sudden it's happy Sabbath, pastor. You are taking the happiness from the home and you are taking it into the street. I know people who when they get home, they stay in the car, Sister Lydia, for 30 minutes, looking at the front door, asking themselves, is this worth it? Is it worth it for me to go inside? I know couples, when they have good news, they are not prepared to share with their partner because they know the response. Men and women are going to fight because we are men and women. One of the differences that will always be a problem is gender. God created us that way. God created us to be a certain way. God created men to be clueless, and God created women to think that men should read their minds. Right? Don't say hallelujah. You're going to get into trouble with my wife. Okay? We are different because of that. That's why Jesus said God created the male and female. And whenever, uh, when, when Adam and Eve messed up, one of the punishments or one of the, the consequences, God said, you shall be subject to your husband and you shall be subject to your wife. Meaning there's going to be chaos in the home. You're going to be fighting to decide who should be hurt. One of the worst statements I ever heard, happy wife, happy life. I think that is of the devil and not God. Pastor, once again, be careful with your amens. I'm just saying. Okay, you're supporting me. Okay, I hear you. I, I read a story. In fact, I heard it in a podcast and I verified it online. The story says that a husband was sitting at the kitchen table and he had just finished drinking coffee and so he remembered that he wanted to go to the store to get some more milk and when he went to the fridge he saw the lottery ticket that he had bought the previous day. But that lottery ticket had not won and so when he went to the store to buy more milk or whatever it is he needed to get for the home, an idea came to his mind. Let me buy a lottery ticket, put the numbers from yesterday, stick the ticket onto the fridge, and then tell my wife to check it. So he buys the lottery ticket, buys the numbers from the previous day, already lost. He, he bought the winning numbers, he put the winning numbers, he put the ticket on the fridge, and he went back to sit down by the table. His wife comes downstairs, 
And he says, morning, honey, how was your sleep? Blah, 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 whatever couples say to each other in the morning. And then he says to her, hey, uh, I, I didn't check the results of the ticket last night. Can you do me a favor? Can you go to the fridge and, and look at the ticket and tell me if I won? The wife goes to the kitchen, and she goes quiet for about five minutes. She opens up her laptop. He doesn't hear her screaming. Apparently, the prank hasn't worked, he thinks. She closes the laptop, comes into the kitchen, goes past the lounge, goes upstairs, doesn't say anything to him. All of a sudden, she comes downstairs with her two children and says to him, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you that we're supposed to go to my mom's place today. Now, being a man, it's not clicking yet what's happening. He said, oh, maybe I forgot that she told me that. She leaves. He goes to the kitchen. He looks on the fridge. No ticket. He checks in the bin. No ticket. He looks on the table. No ticket. Guess what has happened? She thought that they won. So she took the kids to leave him to go to her mother's house. For two days, she doesn't respond to his calls until on the third day, she comes back, walks into the house, insults him, and goes upstairs. In case you're not following what just happened, she wanted to leave him because she thought she was a millionaire. So I want to, I want to ask you a question. Who's the bad person in the story? Uh, there's a man that said the wife. Who's the bad person in the story? The devil. Yes, because it's always the devil that makes you do what you do. Pastor, it's always the devil that makes your wife spend more than she needs on a pair of shoes. They are both hard-hearted. But the story, by the way, it's a true story. It, it broke my heart, but I'll be honest, I laughed a lot. Okay? I laughed a lot. But it revealed something. It revealed the hard-heartedness of humanity. And it also revealed that this couple had not worked on where they were in their relationship. The power struggle. Problems in relationships occur because each person is focusing on what is missing in the other person. That's the problem. You're always looking for faults in the other person. It is hard to look for faults in yourself because that's what you do every day. Think of a relationship like untying a knot in a rope. When both of you are pulling, guess what is happening? The rope is getting tighter. The knot is getting tighter and tighter. And that's what a lot of relationships are. The knot has become so tight that you are even afraid to discuss anything anymore. You avoid the conflicts, you avoid the power struggle, because the moment you argue, the word divorce comes up. And so you drift apart, trying to fix the problem by drifting apart. And as you drift apart, other people come into the relationship. Your in-laws come into the relationship. Friends come into the relationship, and so on and so on. This is a stage where a lot of relationships break up, and they should. Because you fail to resolve issues, don't get into it anymore. This is where a lot of couples divorce. Because the power struggle is so real, they cannot look beyond each other's faults. And so they say, Pastor, because of irreconcilable differences, we cannot be together anymore. Some couples make it to the third state. The third state, I call it peace and compromise. Peace and compromise can also be good and bad at the same time. Because some people, for the sake of peace, don't express their need anymore. The wife no longer speaks up about what she needs. Her life is devoted to being the slave of her children and being the underling of her husband. 
The man has learned to keep quiet, go to work, earn a paycheck, and give his spouse all of it because he wants peace. Pastor, he doesn't want problems. He wants peace. Right? That's a negative version of peace. Because you are sacrificing your conscience. You are sacrificing your convictions. And you are even willing to sacrifice your relationship with God. There are people who've walked out of the church because they wanted peace. So these three, these three states, complement, conflict, compromise. I want to introduce another framework. Please, uh, I hope this is not too much, but please bear with me. Why? Why is it that there's a power struggle? Why is it that there's negative compromise? A false sense of peace. Why is it that couples want to pretend to be happy? Instagrammable. Why is it that people do this? Let me share another framework with you. Please bear with me. There are three ideas from which people look at relationships, from which people look at their, their work, their friendships, whatever it is. Three, three perspectives, okay? The first one is the ideal, okay? The ideal is how it should be done. The ideal is what God said it should be, right? Uh, the Proverbs 31 woman. The Ephesians chapter 5, 22 man. The man who loves his wife enough to die for her. The wife who's submissive enough to compliment her husband. People have asked, who goes first? Is it the wife that submits first and is the husband who loves first? And I say both. You love, you submit, it's all good. Amen. This is the ideal. And then you have the reality. Yes, Lord, I should love her. Yes, Lord, she should be submissive. But we are human beings. We are flawed. We are messed up. When I have arguments with my wife, in my head, what I'm saying is, Babe, I'm sorry, I'll do better. That's in my head. But what comes out of her mouth is, well, you did the same last week. I'm like, what did you just do? Reality. This is the reality. You want a work-life balance? That's an ideal. But in reality, work-life balance does not exist. But then, you have expectation. In-laws, friends, pastors, elders, church people. Everybody is throwing their expectations at you. The moment you come into this world as a young lady, you are expected to get married. Not only are you expected to get married, you are expected to get married to a certain type of man. And when they meet the man, they want to know what qualifications do you have? What's your job? What are your aspirations? What are your plans with our daughter? Same with the man. You are expected to be a provider. You are expected to do certain things. We live in a weird generation where the power struggle between men and women has spilled over into social media. Women are looking for a high-value man. Women are looking for a man who will provide, but the women are also looking to be independent. Come closer. Don't move back. Come closer. Today, Women want power that men should have never had in the first place. Men have been so oppressive for so many generations that the women have said, we want the power back. We are earning more than you. We can do what you do. But that's okay when you're single. Do you, boo-boo? That's fine. But the moment you get married and you still want to be independent, there's a problem. Oh, it's a... You know what's funny is that I'm looking at certain people and they're falling asleep while I'm talking. And the people who are falling asleep are married. 
Am I, am I boring you right now? Do you prefer those hype sermons about your career and having more money? Is that what you want to hear? No, 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 no. This is going to keep happening. So wake up and listen to me. Okay? Your children are unhappy because you are unhappy. I don't care how long you keep dragging them to church. It's not going to help until you replicate the marriage that God wants for you. Amen, somebody. Amen. You are living in reality, but you are letting in expectations. That's why there's a power struggle. Who cares that you earn more money? Who cares that you are the man and you're stronger? Do it God's way. This is what God wants. But God understands that we live in reality. So what God wants you to do is to pull the ideal into your life as often as you can. The more you keep trying to do it God's way, happiness sets in. But what we are doing is we keep trying to live up to the expectations of our parents. We're trying to live up to the expectations of our friends. What they do, we want to do. They got married, I want to get married. They get married in a certain way, I want to do it better. Their budget was five billion, I want a 10 billion wedding. You are living up to expectations, but the moment the dust settles, when the wedding is over, now it's just you and her in the home. What you going to do? So expectations are the reason that people are compromising negatively and that there's power struggles. Your family expects her to behave a certain way. Her family expects you to behave a certain way. And some in-laws can't keep their mouth shut, so they're going to say something and make things worse, not better. And when the chaos has been added, pastor, they invite the pastor into the equation. They invite another pastor into the equation. They go to a different place and they keep inviting people. But guess what? They have never actually spoken to each other about it. Everybody else has them. Everyone comes with baggage. Find someone who loves you enough to help you unpack. Everybody comes with baggage. I know I said don't get married if you're not okay, but here's the truth. We are never truly okay 100%. The trick is find somebody who's willing to help you open those bags with all the mess and you tell them, when I was six years old, my uncle touched me. When I was 12 years old, my teacher uh, offered me something for a good grade. When I was in university, my date raped me. When I was a young man, my babysitter, you, you open up your baggage. My boyfriend broke up with me and broke my heart. He stalked me. Now I'm afraid of men. Open up your baggage. I come from a home that doesn't like me dating somebody outside of my tribe or outside of my race. Open up your baggage. I don't love God as much as you do. Open up your baggage. Unpack the bag and decide, do I love this person enough to keep on the journey? Amen, somebody. You cannot have a relationship without any fights, but you can make your relationship worth the fight. I said to you that there are three entities in a relationship. There's you, your partner, and the marriage itself. Stop fighting for your rights. Start fighting for the marriage. Let me go back to what I said to vindicate the ladies. Do you know why women initiate divorce more than men? Because in most cases, women fight more for the marriage than men do. And when they feel that they've exhausted their efforts, there's nothing left to do. And the irony is the moment the woman wants divorce, all of a sudden the man doesn't want to get divorced now. 
All of a sudden, he's doing the things he should do. Oh, I'm sorry, babe, I'll do better. And after six months, same process all over again. The fourth stage is, I call it paradise and commitment. Now you're thinking, why is that the fourth stage and not the fifth one? I'll explain. And also, doesn't commitment come before the wedding? Let me explain something to you, in case you didn't know. I do not have, I do not have a psychology background. But listen to this. When you commit to somebody that you're dating, what you are committing to is the version of themselves that they've sold you up to that point. She's been a lady, he's been a gentleman. He's proven that he can provide for you, blah, blah, blah. So when you say, I'm committed, you are committing to somebody you've never been married to before. You don't know what he's like at home, unless you're one of those couples that lives together before marriage. But you don't know much about this person. So when you commit to them and you stand in front of the Lord and you stand in front of the church and family, what you are committing to is a stranger. But as you go through those stages of romance and power struggle and compromise, then you are truly getting to know them. Now, the couple that deals with these things before marriage is in a better place. Pastor, if you can go through the struggle, if you can go through the compromise stage, if you can get to the place of commitment before the altar, God bless you. But for a lot of people, all the things I've said happen in the context of marriage. Commitment. This is when you've decided, so what? He's not as tall as my ex-boyfriend. I love him anyway. So what? She can't cook like my mom. I love her anyway. So what? He doesn't earn as much money as he promised he would. I love him anyway. So what? He can preach or sing like my ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, but I love him anyway. You are committed to making it work with this person. You know their flaws, you know their strengths, but you do your best to accentuate their strengths. Okay? Okay? One of the things I do, okay, it's a, I, I was taught this by my dad. My, my dad, uh, still alive today, and, and doesn't mind me talking about this because we've, we've dealt with our issues. He, he, he wasn't a good husband. Because of my dad, I had to watch him get married and divorced twice. So my concept of relationships was all over the place. But when, when I always observe my dad at home, every time he ate food that the current wife had cooked, he always said, thank you. He was, he come home at 2 a.m., but he'd go to the kitchen, take the food she cooked, warm it up, and eat it every single day. So, if I'm going to take any habit from my dad, every day, and my wife is right in the corner, she'll confirm, I always say thank you for the food she cooks. Always. Not for everything else, just the food. <laughs> she'll testify to that too. Finally, I'm sorry, I know I'm annoying you right now, but... The final stage, I call it purpose and community. This is what every couple should aspire for. I don't care how long you've been married. I know you're looking at me up here and thinking, young man, you have no idea what marriage is. You're right. But here's what I do know. I know what God expects of us in marriage. Let me read you a text of scripture. Romans chapter 16, 3 to 5. Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome. And in that letter, he includes a greeting to a couple that he loved. Listen to what he says about this couple and make this your hashtag relationship goals. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ, Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them and so are all the Gentile churches. 
also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Now, again, this is the ideal, but I know your reality. Paul says, they are my co-workers. The level, or the, the, the level five relationship is the one that no longer worries about what the partner is doing when they're not together. The level five relationship is the one that no longer thinks about how much you earn and how much I earn. The level five couple is no longer interested in confusing the children as to who loves them more. The level five couple doesn't come into the church and cause chaos by gossiping and complaining and yap yapping all the time. The level five couple is a co-worker with God in his work. Every afternoon, I'm inviting people to join us in a discussion about relationships. Nobody shows up. Now, there's a possibility that you're doing something way important than that. God bless you. I love that. But what happens is couples have told themselves that these African pastors either are not qualified enough to help us or they're not good enough to help us. We'll continue doing whatever we're doing. But remember, it's not just about you. You're not there to be told what to do. You're there to share what you know, what you've experienced to help the single people. Why? Why is it we don't want to talk about marriage? We don't want to talk about sex. We don't want to talk about money. We talk about everything else than what actually affects us every single day. Our co-workers with Christ. In fact, they even risk their lives. I'm not asking you to die for Pastor Henry. Jesus already did that. Okay? I'm saying, how far are you willing to go as a couple to get to the place where it's no longer about your petty needs? Oh, you're not there for me. You, you, don't, you don't take me out like you used to. Okay, fair enough. But are we doing as much for the Lord? Are we sacrificing our health and time to minister to people that need him? Because I'm assuming I'm talking to brothers and sisters of Christ in here. So the moment you decide to be with somebody that robs you of this, I guarantee there's going to be power and conflict every single day. Brother Sudasa is going to like what I'm about to say because this is what Facts Alive is about. Notice the churches that these people worked with. They worked with the Gentile churches. This couple was not interested in just coming to church and sitting down. This couple was not interested in being told what to do by the pastors. Oh, no. They were tent makers like Paul. And they were interested in establishing new churches, meaning they cared about winning people outside. And because of that, Paul recommended them, commended them for what they were doing. I'm sorry I'm not giving you a Dr. Phil kind of a message about how you can be happy every day. But this is what the Bible recommends. A couple that is a gospel commission focused. A couple that cares about the work of God. A couple that cares about people. Go back to the text. They were willing to help Paul in his time of need. That means they didn't just care about themselves. They cared about people. They even opened up their home to be a church. Do you know how inconvenient it is to have people walk in and out of your house? Can you imagine, Pastor, opening up your house as a church and my son walks into that house? You know my son. He's going to break something. But these people were okay with it. Again, I'm not saying open up your house, go to Africa. I'm not saying that. Okay? Enough churches in Africa anyway. I'm saying 
as a couple, sit down and say, honey, we've been fighting about our in-laws for too long. We've been fighting about the kids for too long. We've been fighting about your choice of your job for too long. Can we do something that is on the same level? Something that we can both support. And I promise you, the more as a couple you do the Lord's work together, sincerely not to be seen, all other ground becomes sinking sand. So what is driving your relationship today? Is it the ideal that God has called you to? Or are you so drunk on reality that you love chaos? I, I, I know partners, male and female. I know partners. If they don't fight with their spouse, they don't feel good that day. So they'll pick a fight for no reason at all. Woman, you boiled the wrong egg. Really? Why did you answer the text two minutes later? You want to pick a fight because that makes you feel alive. In fact, ladies, you pick a fight with your husband so you can talk about something with your friends. And by the way, stop talking to your friends who are single about your marriage. They're not going to help you. They're just going to validate your nonsense. Gentlemen, please talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Stop being macho and masculine and think that you got it figured out. What is the state of your union? I, I, I told you, I told you when I started the sermon that this is going to be rough. I gave you a heads up. I hope that the silence is your thinking. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? I've tried to be like another couple. I've tried to keep up with them. We bought the same phones they have. We try to dress like them. We try to go to the same vacations. We, we try to post photos of our vacations. We, we've tried all of that, but inside we are still empty as a couple. Hashtag relationship goals. What is the state of your union? I don't know. You know. I know where my, my relationship is. I know what we're trying to aspire for. What is your marriage aspiring for today? I'm looking for bold couples this morning. I'm looking for a husband and a wife that are willing to say, Pastor, I don't like the way you talk, but what you said makes a lot of sense. I want my marriage to be a purpose community type of marriage. And by the way, when I say purpose community, I don't mean you neglect your own happiness. I don't mean you neglect your own plans and goals. No, there's an integration process that can happen in a happy marriage. I'm talking about having the kind of relationship that's not just about you anymore. Pastor, my spouse and I, we're struggling right now. Or things are great, but what we have is a paradise kind of a marriage. We're happy, everything's good, our kids are smart, good grades, finances are just enough, we've traveled, we've got, we got a calendar for the year, but we want to take that next step. We, we want to be the kind of couple that contributes. We don't know what that looks like, we're not Priscilla and Aquila, but we have that goal. Pastor, I'm not married yet, we're engaged, we're trying to figure out some stuff, but I want that state life, that state of purpose and community. If that's you as a couple, whatever state you're in now, it doesn't matter. God is good. God is gracious. God can see you through the worst seasons of your life. If that's you, come to the front with your partner. I don't care whether there's two couples or five or ten. Come with your partner to the front. In fact, baby girl, if that's your prayer, I want you to invite, I want to invite you to come and stand with me. That's your prayer.
Don't, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I love you anyway. Is there a couple that says, I want that level five marriage? I'm tired of bringing up the word divorce in my marriage, pastor. It keeps coming up. Oh. Dearly beloved, we have gathered. Oh, no. Hey, Faith. I want my marriage to be the type that God needs it to be. The struggle has been so real. It's, listen, let me, let me go back. I, I, I know. People like to think, oh, pastors, you like to talk about theories. I know. This is where we live. Right here. This is where we are. The moment I said, I'm going to preach about relationships, people got uncomfortable because, not because they think you're going to call them out, but because they know they have to confront certain things now. Just, just, just move this way. Uh, come this side, guys. Don't worry about the camera. We don't care about that. Just come, just come through this way. Just come through this way. Okay? This is, this is where you live. I get it. The bills are high. The finances are not good. Family doesn't give you peace. The kids are all over the place. I get it. I get it. So I'm not here talking about this utopian version of marriage that doesn't exist. I get it. But if I don't take the opportunity to pray with you, I will not be happy with myself. Lord, I want this. Right now, we are dating and we are here. We don't get what's the big deal. We know we're going to be happy. I'm praying for you. But if you're here and here, it's okay. God can help you. Heads bowed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. God bless you for stepping forward. It's not an issue of, of courage. It's an issue of committing to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you at this moment. I wish I could sit in the audience and somebody else preach this exact message so that everybody can know that I'm talking to myself, but I'm talking to them. Father, we live between the cradle and the grave. The birth and the death of a human, a human being are guaranteed. But in between, we find love. We find the person we want to spend the rest of our lives with, fighting for the relationship and not fighting them. I know for a fact that nobody standing up front or seated actually wakes up every day thinking, how can I make my marriage worse? Nobody gets up in the morning thinking, how can I be a bad husband? How can I be a bad wife just to spite the other person? But Father, to some degree, we all have a hard heart which simply says, I need to safeguard my needs. I need to safeguard what I need as a woman, what I need as a man. We are all coming from a place of fear. We are all burdened by expectation. But we also live in reality. Thank you for invading our reality with this message today. Thank you for taking away our peace because now we have to think about it. We have to talk about it. And so, Father, I want to pray for the couples that have stepped forward today. These couples are saying, look, we, we, we want that state five relationship. We are struggling to make ends meet. We are struggling as parents. We have young children. We are trying to figure it out. And yet we want to get to that place. I'm praying for them as much as I'm praying for my relationship. I'm praying, Father, that all of us may get to the place where we are so in sync, though we are sinners, that we want what's best for the gospel. 
for the community. We don't want to break it apart. We want to build it. We don't want to take from it. We want to give to it. And so I pray in this moment that you would help them on that journey. Whether they are in marriage, engaged, or dating, it doesn't matter. These states are a real thing to us. And now, Father, I pray that in the Spirit of Christ, what He wanted was for men and women to remember from whose hand they come, that if God is a part of this relationship, divorce will never happen. And so I pray for those couples that are struggling today. Give them peace, Lord. Give them a calm that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Help them in this season of their lives. Nobody here can judge any couple that has divorced because a divorced couple has been honest about their struggle. But people who are still together in the same house, sleeping on the same bed, probably different rooms now, but their struggle is real. I don't know what you can do for them, Father, but I'm praying for them. I'm desperately praying for them. Help them whatever state they're in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.